Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. He'll dance, he'll step, he'll shoot, and he hits it at the buzzer. No time left, and the Rockets have won the game. We are here to feel your Rockets news. This is the Rockets Field Podcast presented by Clutch Fans. And, of course, I'm one of your co-hosts. I'm LaShar Binkley. You can always find my work on Twitter at Binkley Hoops and my written word at The Dream Shake. Just came out with an article a couple days ago, so make sure you check that out. And as you can see, I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Anthony Duckett. So before we get too far into it, why don't you let us know where we can find all your great content? You can find me on Twitter at A underscore Duckett uh, for all my uh, my audio content, uh, Audible be sure to check out the uh, Rocket Fuel podcast. Of course, of course, it's good to be back. It's been a while since we've been on together, so <laughs> it's good to be back uh, co-hosting the show with you. And, of course, as you can also see, the people that are going to be watching this, we are joined by a very special uh, guest, a person that a lot of y'all already know pretty well, um, a person that oh. I know pretty well. He kind of got me started in the podcast. I mean, he did get me started in podcasts a long time ago with Clutch City Control Room and, of course, Launchpad Podcast. And, of course, y'all know him from the Locked On Rockets. We are joined by Mr. Jackson Gatlin. How you doing today, Jackson? LaShard AD, I am so excited to be here to talk a little Rockets hoops with you guys. It's been a minute since we've been on a podcast together, so this should be a, a fun little reunion tour. We'll run it back one time. Of course, of course. And, of course, before we get too deep into it, why don't you let all the people that don't know about Clutch City Control Room, why don't you give them a little bit of information about it because y'all doing a lot of big things over there. Yeah, so I mean, CCCR, it's a ton of fun. We're basically just trying to churn out really quality Rockets content. We've got three shows, as, as well as UH Cougars content. So we've got uh, two Rockets based shows running right now the Launchpad podcast with uh, Don and Don Knock and Palo Alves. And then we've got the Brad O and Will show with Brad and Will, who they, you know, they talk Rockets hoops on those two shows. Tons of, you know, rotating guests, a lot of fun voices on those two programs. And we've got our UH Cougars podcast, Pod Slamma Jamma, uh, covering all things UH Cougars basketball and football, which is always a ton of fun. So, yeah, definitely. Like I said, I know all the guys very well, been on their shows. So we always, you know, always looking for. Looking forward to listening to them and helping each other out. So it's all one big Rockets family at the end of the day. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, of course, we're going to be talking about some of the summer league because uh, Jackson was out in Vegas watching the Rockets and covering them there. Um, we always have news, even when it's off season, when it comes to the Rockets, especially on Rockets Twitter. Uh, we're going to be talking about some of the Kevin Porter Jr. news that came out recently with him uh, possibly signing a new contract or a contract extension before the season starts. And we're going to be talking a little bit about just the overall, the three rookies that were in the summer league um, in Jabari Smith, Tari Eason and Ty Ty Washington. Uh, but of course, phases is kind of where I want to start with you, Jackson. You were down there covering the Rockets uh, out in Vegas. So what's some of the things that you saw in person down there, especially from the three rookies that uh, impressed you while you were watching them? 
Oh, I think if we're just going to go, I guess we can just roll in order here, right? Go Jabari, then Tari, and, and wrap it up with Ty Ty. But I think what really stood out about Jabari Smith was the fact that, you know, coming into the draft and everything, I expected him to be a good defender. Like, I thought yeah. he was going to, like, the defense, the size, the, you know, all the physicals, all the measurables, they were going to translate right away. And Jabari was always my guy. He was my number one at the top of the board. What I didn't expect to see was to see him be so impactful defensively, not just from like an on-ball, like one-on-one defender perspective, which is what I thought he was going to be. I thought, all right, he's going to come in, he's going to play good, you know, man-to-man defense, and, you know, that's that was going to be his calling card, right? Like, you know, plus defender, cool. I didn't think he was going to be nearly the type of what I think is going to be a transformational type defender, right? Somebody who changes the entire complexion of your defense because he's just that good on that side of the floor, right? I'm talking uh, a Rudy Gobert type of player, a Draymond Green type of player, the same type of player that Chet Holmgren kind of projects to be, right? That was the kind of impression that we got of Chet Holmgren coming out of the draft, right? Is that he was going to be this defensive anchor and he was going to completely, you know, overhaul a defense for an NBA team for lack of better terminology. And I wasn't expecting that out of Jabari. And that's what we saw from him because even though the offensive efficiency wasn't what we were expecting, right? He struggled to hit shots and that's absolutely true. I'm not going to like sugarcoat that, right? It would have been nice to see him be a little bit more consistent, a little bit more productive offensively. Although we did get some flashes out of him that we weren't necessarily expecting with some of the creation ability, putting the ball on the floor, getting to the free throw line, some things that weren't necessarily supposed to be part of his offensive bag at this stage in his career. But then even when he wasn't putting the ball in the hoop, he was impacting games defensively. And you saw that in the way that like he'd check out of the game and suddenly like the Rockets defense would just crater because he was that impactful playing that five spot with no Usman Garuba, really just changing the entire complexion of the defense, very versatile on switches, guarding smaller players, preventing, you know, just incredibly good at the point of attack, preventing driving lanes. And then even when he wasn't guarding at the point of attack, rotating over, right? Clogging things up, doubling, you know, communicating, just all these little things that stood out defensively for him. And I just really wasn't expecting that type of defensive prowess out of the gate. I I don't know. Were you guys expecting that when you, when you saw Jabari Smith Jr. put on his Rockets jersey? I'll let you answer uh, first, AD. Yeah, I mean, so I kind of I kind of feel like a little bit like you, like, you know, rim protection, I, I definitely expected some of that. But as far as the ball pressure, as far as to the level that he that we saw in the summer league, like you said, the impact that he had on that end, you know, I wasn't quite expecting that that right out the gate, personally. Yeah, I mean, I agree. And some of the talk out of, um, you know, during the scouting and, you know, different uh, people around the league was they were wondering if he can cover the you no know, smaller guards. I mean, he is. At the end of the day, he is 6'10", probably 6'11", like his father said. He's probably going to grow to 6'11". I mean, to be able to be out there and guard smaller players and switch out on them and not get beat, even when he did get beat, he still had enough quickness to recover. Yeah, I mean, that was really surprising. And like you said, the help defense to me was the biggest thing. I mean, he had so many blocks where he came out of nowhere. I mean, I think that was the biggest the biggest surprise out of anything because we knew that he can be a, a pretty good you know, one-on-one defender, but to be able to – have the help defense that he had. I think that's going to help the Rockets tremendously, especially when he's playing alongside uh, Alper and Shangoon. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. His defense was even you know better than advertised, which is it was just a big shock. Yeah. Um, as far as with Tyree Eason, I mean, a lot of people hope the Rockets drafted him, but even in you know the people that wanted to draft him, I still think they were surprised at how good he played. So, 
what did you see from Tari Eason down in Vegas when you were watching him on the court? Again, a, a really aggressive defender. I, I will. I'll throw in one more thing here about Jabari before we yeah. transition to Tari, and that's just. And you know, we dropped this gym uh, on, on a recent Locked On Rockets show with Ali Kambajani, but uh, Jabari actually ranked in the hundredth percentile in isolation defense wow. in Vegas summer league. He had 14 possessions where he was guarding in isolation. And, you know, the sometimes the tracking stats can be a little wonky, right? Because, you know, what is truly an isolation possession versus, yeah. you know, whatever. But, you know, go so take it with a bit of a grain of salt. But, again, 14 possessions in isolation. He only allowed six points on those oh, 14 possessions. Man, again, ranked in the 100th percentile across – all, all summer league players um, really impressive defensive stats out of Jabari. And that matches the eye test. Again, he looked good when he was, you know, forced out on switches and he was checking somebody, you know, one-on-one, he looked incredible. And, and to your point, right, Lashard, you know, some of the, the weak side shot blocking uh, the, the help side defense, it was, it was fantastic. But with Tari, um, you know, he was a guy that just, it felt like myself and many others were just completely locked in on him being the guy for the Rockets at pick number 17. So back during the draft, when it came down to AJ Griffin or Tari Easton on the board for the Hawks, and I was just sitting there biting my nails, like, come on, let, like, I, as, as excited yeah. as I was about the idea of maybe AJ Griffin falling to the Rockets, because, you know, I was kind of excited about him as a prospect as well, somebody that we thought was going to go in the lottery, you know, top 10 type, you know, talent. I was really happy that the Hawks took AJ Griffin and I'm ecstatic at what we've seen out of Tari Eason so far. He has a great, he has great instincts for the game, both, both defensively and offensively. And, you know, I think one of those kind of like pre-draft concerns with Tari Eason was, you know, his basketball IQ supposedly was one of like, yeah. you know, a, a shortcoming of his. And to this point, I haven't exactly seen a lot of, I haven't seen a lot, if any, bad basketball IQ out of Tari Easton. It feels like defensively and offensively, he makes the right decisions a lot of the time. Now, sometimes, like, offensively, especially in the half court, like, we've seen him kind of attack off the catch here and there where he drives the ball in and he, he looks to make that pass out to one of the corners or to an open shooter, but he kind of, like telegraphs what he's going to do because he's got that like kind of awkward drive where he's he's stronger going right than he is left the left hand kind of sort of doesn't exist right now which he's got to work on absolutely but he'll kind of telegraph some of those passes and, and like the defense can read that really easily and that led to some turnovers or some tipped passes you know you know going out of bounds breaking up a possession but in transition, he looks really good, right? Like the fact that he's able to get the rebound and he's confident enough to put the ball on the floor and just drive it straight to the rack or, you know, drive it in hard and, and kick it out to a teammate in transition looks really good. And then just defensively, a guy with his measurables, right? Six, seven, crazy wingspan, huge hands, physical and NBA ready body, like right out of the gate. He is going to be a just an absolute menace defensively. And we saw that throughout summer league. We saw him hold his own you know, very, very aggressive guarding guys one-on-one, you know, stunting over on drives, being that help, you know, being that help defender, rotating over certain possessions. We saw him kind of checking Paolo Bancaro in that first game against the Magic and Jabari yeah. tried to come over and like double team and Tari like waved him off. He's like, no, 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 I got yeah. him. And he, for he forced Paolo into a tough miss. So like he takes pride in the defensive side of the basketball, just like Jabari does, if not more, right? Both of those guys just, you know, kind of hanging their hats on what they can bring to the table defensively. And so having two of those types of guys, those two personalities to inject into this Rockets locker room, you know, it really feels like they may have been able to change their identity seemingly overnight, right? To where next season, I'm not saying they're going to be like a, a defense first identity, but they're definitely going to feel like more of a defensive oriented team with the pieces that they've added next year.
Yeah, and I mean, they can't get much worse than last year where they ranked dead last in points allowed actually last two seasons. So, I mean, adding two defensive-minded players definitely will help with that. Why you got to bring that up, LaShar? Why you got to bring that up? <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 a lo- it's, a lo- it's a low bar, right? They don't have to clear much, yeah. but. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, I mean, I'll take it at this point. And with Lionel Howell also coming in, I mean, you have to imagine defense has to be better oh, yeah. next year. Um, and, and, of course, one, one more thing about Tara I want to ask you. Um, do you think that his rebounding can translate against NBA level talent? Because he was second in rebounding in summer league. I mean, a lot of games, I mean, if not all games, he had double digit rebounding. Do you think that's going to translate? Now, of course, he's not going to maybe at the beginning get as much time as he did in the summer league, but do you think that he can rebound at that level um, when the actual real game start? Absolutely. I, I think one thing too, and and if you go, if you sort through like the summer league stats and you actually like take out the two guys who only played late, I think it was like, I'm trying to remember who played, uh, what was it? Um, Taco Fall and like one other guy yeah. played like only two games and they played less than like 20 minutes a game. So if you yeah. factor those two guys out, Tari Eason actually led everybody in rebounding across summer league at like 10.6 yeah. per game. Um, the rebounding is going to translate. I think he is, he is somebody who hunts boards right like there there's different types of rebounders in the nba right or different types of rebounders when you're playing basketball there's guys who you know do the dirty work who use their body right to really box out and and really you know do that early work to fight for rebounds or even if they're not the ones getting the rebounds they're they're kind of positioning their team to be in the the right place to get those boards right alper and shingun is that type of rebounder he might not rack up the boards you know 10 12 rebounds a game although he does do a good job of hunting them down he does the the early work, right? He boxes out. He uses his weight, his size, so that a guy like KPJ or Jalen can jump in and get that rebound. I think Tari kind of mixes those those skill sets where he's got the size and the physicality to, you know, throw his his weight around, use his strength to shove guys out of the way and, and you know, clear out the paint so that he can secure a defensive rebound or fight his way in for offensive rebounds. But he's also got the 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 athleticism to, you know, out jump some guys, right? Like outwork some guys, out hustle some guys for those boards. And it feels like a lot of times like rebounding can just come down to just do you want it more than the other guy, right? Are you are you timing your 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 jumps quickly enough? Are you closing out defensive possessions strong by paying attention to all right, tracking down a body, putting your body against somebody else, right? Getting your back against them to make sure that they can't get you know get over the top of you to secure a rebound. I think Tari's rebounding is gonna translate. What I do think he's going to struggle with, though, right out of the gate is going to be the foul trouble. Like anybody that's that aggressive of a defender. And we saw this with Alper and Shingun, right? He was an aggressive defender early on, right? Constantly trying to make little plays, constantly swiping at the basketball, trying to get a little tip or, you know, just create, you know, some kind of disturbance defensively. And we saw him rack up fouls constantly. I think that's going to be the weak point in Tari's game right out of the gate is he's going to get, you know, his... 12 to 15 or 20 minutes a night if that right you know coming off the Rockets bench and he's probably going to rack up multiple fouls really really quickly and it's probably going to be that new thing amongst Rockets fans where it's like all right Tari like you got to like the aggressiveness is awesome yeah. but you got to be really careful cuz otherwise you're going to foul out of a game by like the you know halfway through the second quarter thankfully he won't get that many minutes where it won't probably matter but that's going to be the biggest adjustment for him is learning how to be aggressive without fouling you know and or putting himself in too much foul trouble I should say yeah, I mean, that's a great point. And it kind of reminds me of Jay Sean Tate, who, if didn't leave, was pretty close to uh, one of the top, 
I don't know if you can say top players, but one of the league leaders in fouls uh, per game. So, I mean, that definitely is a good point about Tyrese and something he's going to have to learn. Um, before I let AD jump in with the next set of questions, uh, the other person, of course, was Ty Ty Washington. I kind of want to make that a two-parter. What did you see from Ty Ty Washington, and how do you uh, stack him up against Dacian Nix, who, of course, he's the one he's uh, competing with for that backup spot because it doesn't look like the Rockets are going to be bringing in any veteran point guards anytime soon. So what did you see from Ty Ty, and how do you think he compared to Dacian Nix? First off, I love Ty Ty's game. His game feels so fluid like he just he looks really comfortable out there with the basketball and he looks comfortable either with the ball in his hands or playing off the ball and I think that's to me the biggest distinction between him and Dacian Nix at this point is Ty Ty looks more comfortable with the ball you know it looks comfortable with the ball in his hands or without the basketball right he very much is kind of in the embodiment of that combo guard role where he can be the spot up guy he can attack off the catch he can also run the offense and he also looks a little bit more comfortable running the fast break. I think that's where I was really impressed with him is just his ability to get the ball, push the pace in transition, and then make the right decisions in transition, right? Finding the right open guy. It didn't always lead to a clean bucket. It didn't always lead to, you know, a highlight play in transition, but just those small, smart decisions, right? Ty Ty's basketball IQ is is very much there. And so I, I feel com- I felt comfortable with him running the Rockets offense. I wish that he would have gotten a little bit more time to run it. You know, obviously Josh Christopher was out there for the first three games and, yeah. you know, Jacob was just doing his thing, getting his buckets here and there. So that kind of minimized the amount of like on ball time that Ty Ty got because they, they were kind of splitting a lot of the offensive action between Dacian and Josh, you know, in those games until Josh wound up sitting down. But overall, Ty Ty's game feels really good. I've said it before and I'll say it again. It feels like he's got a lot of CP3 isms to his game. Very like very much kind of that crafty player. Like he's not the biggest. He's not the strongest. He's not the quickest, not the fastest. But it doesn't matter because he's he's so skilled and so crafty that he's able to get to his spots. And the number one thing, his floater, his floater looks insane. The fact that he's already got a go to move that is as reliable as that floater feels like at this point. I, you know, I said it on a different show, but, you know, there was a point they were doing warmups one day and uh, I forget I forget before which game this was, but all the Rockets were out of the three point line, you know, getting threes up. Ty Ty was the only one on the interior and he was just kind of like camped out in the paint, probably, you know, in between five to eight feet. And he was just bouncing between like the middle of the paint, the left block, the right block, kind of ping ponging back and forth randomly, just tossing floaters up. And he didn't miss like 20 straight floaters in a row, like just kept throwing up. And he just had somebody throwing him the rebound after every make, every make. And he just kept going. And finally, he like missed the last one on like just off the back of the iron. Like it wasn't a bad miss. It was like just a little bit off. But to see him just have it down like mechanically, and it wasn't like he was just standing in one spot getting the same shot up over and over. He was moving between those three different spots so that, you know, if he's attacking from the right wing, floater, left wing, floater, from the center, floater, like. He's got that game, that floater game on lock. And again, for a guy like him, who isn't necessarily the biggest, isn't necessarily the fastest, to have a go-to move like that to where he doesn't have to rely on getting all the way to the rim or doesn't have to rely on breaking somebody down on the perimeter and getting to like a pull-up game out there, he can, you know, get into the pick and roll. And if he gets a good screen, gets that opening in that five to eight, five to ten foot range area, that floater's basically automatic at this point. So love that from him. And then just as far as he stacks up with Dacian, you know, I think that, again, Ty Ty was the better point guard operating in transition, looked a little bit more comfortable there. But I like, I still like Dacian and the way that he ran the offense in the half court. I think Dacian is still 
better equipped or more equipped to be uh, an NBA ready point guard right yeah. now at this at this stage in their respective careers. And I very much still think that it's Dacian Nix's like job to lose, right? Like if Dacian Nix plays poorly in training camp and Ty Ty like outshines him, then maybe we see a world where Ty Ty is the backup point guard going into next season. But right now I still think it's Dacian Nix. Um, I haven't seen enough out of Ty Ty yet to make me think, yep, he is the clear cut like, you know, they, they've they both got pros and cons to their respective games, yeah. um, but I haven't seen enough out of one or the other to tip the scales in Ty Ty's favor, at least at this point. So that being said, my question for you is, you know, since we you, you we marveled at how how well, you know, Ty Ty played in a summer league. We also know what we saw out of Dacia, especially in the G League. Um, do you, you know, I still kind of feel like we really don't have enough to go off of to pencil either in as a clear cut um, backup you know, the top backup guard. Um, do you feel like Ty Ty will spend a lot of time in the G League in the very beginning or that Dacian might spend a lot of time in the G League one way or the other? I think Dacian's done with the G League at this point. Like, I think yeah. I, I think Dacian has done enough reps at the G League level to know that he's he's too good to spend time down there. Yeah. And that's where you kind of get at this, you know, th- this, this weird crossroads stage where – yeah, Ty Ty's incredibly talented, right? And, and he he could have been, you know, in, in some mocks, he was projected to be like a late lottery pick, right? Like, yeah. you know, and, and there were a lot of mocks that had him going, you know, before pick 20, and, and he fell to the Rockets all the way at 29. So he's got a, t- a ton of talent as well, but the main distinction and difference is Dacian never really got a chance with the Rockets rotation this past season outside of like, you know, really late in the season and some spot minutes here and there. He never really had like a carved out like role in the rotation. And I think Dacian is a guy who's going to benefit from that quite a bit, especially because last year it felt like when he was with the Rockets, he was very passive. He wasn't playing his game, the game that made him such an enticing prospect at the G League level and why the Rockets were so invested in his future is he would, you know, bring the ball up the floor, initiate the offense, and then just kind of sit there on the perimeter, right? He wasn't yeah. playing Dacian Nick's basketball. And I, I think Dacian Nick's basketball is somebody who is capable of creating, capable of getting downhill, get him running some pick and roll with some guys, and have him create that way. We saw so many impressive passes in the half court where Dacian broke down the, the defense and then swung the pass all the way out to the perimeter, right? Those crazy passes where he goes, like, flying out of bounds at the baseline, and he whips the pass yeah. back out to the slot or the wing, and it's right. a wide-open three-pointer. So having opportunities like that for Dacian, I think are going to be huge and having a consistent role to try and showcase what he can really do. Now, that's not to say that Ty Ty doesn't deserve that same benefit of the doubt, but they know what they have with Dacian. Sending him back to the G League isn't going to accomplish anything. They need to see if he can translate those skills to the NBA level. So right now, I'd say Ty Ty is probably going to spend a little chunk of time with the G League. It may not be much. They may send him down there for a brief stint like they did Josh, because I think Josh spent like, what, two games with the G League? Like, if that. So they might send him down there for a couple games, handful of games to get some reps in, to run the offense a little bit uh, so that he doesn't get, you know, get cold just sitting on the Rockets bench. But when you look at their guard rotation as is, it's... KPJ and Jalen are getting a bulk of those guard minutes. Josh is going to get a chunk of those guard minutes. EG is probably going to be utilized mostly as a wing, but he might also absorb some guard minutes. So realistically, you've only got like maybe 10 to 12 minutes a night, if that, like five to six minutes a half for somebody to play some minutes. And right now, I think those are going to go to Dacian Nix because he also does embody a bit more of that traditional point guard role, I think. And, you know, kind of has a bit more of that floor general mentality to him. And I think that especially based on how, you know, having Alper and Shingun 
more than likely in the Rockets, you know, starting lineup. Having a, a guy who can really steer the offense when Al P is on the bench, I think that's how we're going to see Dacian kind of utilized is he comes in, he checks in for KPJ and, and Al P's on the bench. And so a lot of the offense is going to be predicated toward, towards running through Dacian Nix with him really in control of things on the floor to really see what they can get out of him, you know, in those five to six minutes a half, 10 to 12 minutes a game. And if they do it for the first 10, 15 games and it looks terrible, then maybe Ty Ty gets a nod, right? Like, and that's yeah. that's going to be the big thing for Steven Silas is not going through, you know, an entire season and not not willing to adjust some things, right? If Dacian looks bad 10, 10 games into the season and doesn't look like he can handle the backup point guard role, I want to see them give Ty Ty a shot and, you know, maybe bench Dacian for a little bit. And maybe that's the dynamic we see is, you know, one guy gets five or six games in a row, the other guy gets five or six games in a row, and they kind of just are fighting head-to-head -head for who gets the better, you know, who plays better in that backup spot. Yeah. I mean, that's a great point about Dacian because last year when he was with the Vipers, I mean, Coach Abdel Fattah was, said that he was their number one guy. So he's going from the number one guy to playing with the Rockets, and a lot of times he's also playing with Dennis Schroeder, so he really was playing out of position as well. So that's a good point about him having a specific role this year that he knows exactly what he's going to be doing. He doesn't have to share the court with another point guard. So. I think you're going to see it. Yeah, and I don't, I don't, I don't mean to cut you off, Lashar, but sure. you, you brought up, you don't, you brought up uh, Coach Mahmoud Abdelfada, and it's like yeah. if he's it, having him on the bench is going to be huge for Dacian. Like you yeah. know, when you when you Girl, heard about awesome. right, right with, with, with ab, absolutely AD, right for the entire team having having Coach Mahmoud there is going to be awesome. But then specifically the fact that he's already cultivated that relationship with Dacian Nix, spent so yeah. much time with him at the G League level last year. Rick Higgins was so complimentary of Dacian talking about his basketball IQ, the fact that he knows the game so well and understands, you know, how to make good decisions in the half court. There was that moment against the Oklahoma City Thunder where the Rockets needed a bucket down one and yeah. Josh was calling for the ball. He was like, give me the ball, give me the ball. <laughs> Josh had Chet Holmgren switched on to him, right? Yeah. And that's not a favorable mismatch at all for Josh. And so Dacian waved Josh off, sent him back to the corner, started to initiate the offense, and then dished it over to Ty Ty Washington, who was on the wing, and Ty Ty was able to attack off the catch and get right into that mid-range because they were playing five out. So there was, you know, Chet Holmgren was stuck in the corner with Josh. Otherwise, he was going to give up a wide-open three-pointer. And so Ty Ty gave a little fake, you know, jab step, attack off the catch got right into the mid-range before Chet could rotate over and he got to that floater and that was the floater that gave the Rockets a one-point lead and, and they ultimately won that game against the Thunder that was what was effectively like you know I don't know if you want to call it the game-winning bucket but it was you know a crunch time bucket that was huge and Dacian set that up right so having a guy that has that level of confidence right that's the version of Dacian that I want to see next season is that confident play that hey I'm going to put you in the right spots because I know what's going to help us win these games yeah yeah Exactly. I mean, that's what I saw when he was playing with uh, with the Vipers, was extremely confident, playing alongside Trevlin Queen. I mean, he ran the offense exactly how it was supposed to be ran. So I, I think we'll see that. And like you said, this is his opportunity because he's too good for the G League. They're not going to send him back down to the Vipers because it won't do him any good. So he's kind of in that danger zone so where he has to play well or he's probably going to be permanently on the bench. So, yeah, yeah it's going to be very important for him coming up. One more quick question before we wrap up the first segment. Uh, just speaking of the G League, do you see any chance that Atari Eason is going to play sometime in the G League if they're not able to get rid of or trade away Eric Gordon or KJ Martin, uh, for that matter? Man, that's it's such a tough question because yeah. I look. I don't know about you guys, but the way that I look at like the 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 Rockets 
wing situation right now. I, I think we can safely pencil in the four start, four of the five starters, and that's yeah. KPJ, Jalen, Jabari, and Alpi. So then the question mark, right, is who's the fifth starter, right? Is it Jay Sean Tate, who just inked that brand new deal, and he's basically been a starter since 10 games into his career with the Rockets? Remember that very first game against San Antonio where he racked up, like, I think it was like, it was either six assists or 10 assists. I forget which one it was, but he looked like a point forward, right? And it was like, oh my God, like this guy's great. And then he never left the starting lineup. He was like Silas's guy from that, mo that moment on. So is it Tate? Is it the veteran Eric Gordon? If he's still here to start the season, right? Do you roll out that three guard, you know, kind of lineup to start the season with that, that veteran presence in EG? Either way, both of those guys, if they're here, right, they're going to take up a chunk of the minutes yeah. at that forward, that wing spot. Jabari's going to get his, you know, 25... 28 to 30 some odd minutes every night. There's very few minutes left over after that. And the guys that are going to get kind of squeezed for those minutes, right? Tari Eason is there on the bench. KJ Martin's there on the bench. Garrison Matthews who's still got a factor in who basically played as a wing for the Rockets, not necessarily as a guard, except for the stint where Jalen Green was uh, injured and he was yeah. the, the starting replacement for Jalen Green. So of those three guys, I fail to see how KJ Martin or Garrison Matthews outskill Tari yeah. Eason like Tari is the best of those three players so I really struggle to see a world where they send Tari down to the G League in favor of playing KJ Martin and or Garrison Matthews ahead of him in the rotation I think that Tari starts the season with the Rockets and I think he starts as part of the Rockets rotation I think he's too good not to be in that mix and that does suck right that sucks for KJ and that yeah. sucks for Garrison um, and I think that's why at this point, if you had to ask me the two most likely trade targets for the Rockets or, or guys that are most likely to be traded, it would have to be Eric Gordon and KJ Martin. Now, maybe that dynamic changes a little bit, right? If they, if they trade EG and suddenly they open up a chunk of those minutes before the season starts, then yeah, there's a world where Tari and KJ can kind of share those backup three, four minutes and they both get, you know, equal number of minutes every single night. And while that still probably won't make Kenyon Martin senior very happy to not see his son starting games, like it's it's better than KJ getting completely squeezed out of the rotation, which is exactly what happened last season, right? In favor of guys like Daniel House Jr. and David Nwaba, who were playing ahead of KJ Martin for some reason. So it, it's you know a tough roll of the dice for KJ Martin, but he also hasn't, while he's improved, he hasn't grown his game enough in the two years that he's been an NBA player to be like, no, like I'm a better player than Tari Eason. Like I deserve the minutes ahead of him. He's not a better player than Tari Eason right now. Like if I had to pick those two guys in a vacuum, I'm taking Tari 10 times out of 10 because he gives you more size, more overall skills, way better defender. And offensively, they've got comparable offensive games at this point right now. The only thing is KJ Martin's a better overall three point shooter right now, a bit more consistency with the three ball, but past that, that's, that's really the only place that he's got Tari Eason beat. So no, I don't think Tari's going to play any minutes at the G league level. I think he's too good to send down to the G league at this point. Yeah, and that's a great point. I think this is kind of audition season for a lot of the Rockets players, because as we all know, they're, they're going to try to start winning the following season. They're really going to put an emphasis on that. So I've, like players like KJ Martin, uh, even Jay Sean Tate, as far as getting the amount of minutes that he wants to get, um, Uzma Garuba, somebody we're going to talk about in the second segment. And of course, also Kevin Porter Jr., um, which is kind of the hot topic now going around Rockets Twitter. And that's what we're going to be discussing the start of the second segment. So please stick around. And welcome back to the Rocket Fuel podcast presented by Clutch Fans. And of course, we are joined by Mr. Jackson Gatlin. And in that first segment, we were discussing, um, of course, summer league play. And what uh, Jackson saw from the three rookies and also uh, Dacian Knicks. And in the second segment, we're going to be talking about some of the current Rockets 
And one of the favorite to- topics of Rockets Twitter, of course, is Kevin Porter Jr. And the newest thing about Kevin Porter Jr. is whether the Rockets should sign him to a contract extension because the news came out that the Rockets and KPJ uh, Jr. were actually talking about a possible contract extension for the season start because next year um, is his final year and then he'll be a restricted free agent. So we'll start there, Jackson. What is your opinion on that? I mean, I saw some of your uh, tweets, so I kind of already know myself, but what's your opinion on what the Rockets should do as far as Kevin Porter Jr.? And let's say that they do decide to sign him before the season or sometime during the season. What number would you be comfortable with um, as far as signing him um, to a longer-term deal? Man, like, for I, I'm going to preface this with the fact that I feel like, again, it feels like Rockets fans have been just divided into two camps yet again with KPJ because this is just, I guess, KPJ is the one of the most divisive topics yeah. amongst Rockets fans where it's just like, is he a point guard? Isn't he a point? You know, he's not a point guard, whatever, whatever. And so now we're, you know, extend him, don't extend him. So I think something that gets lost in this is, you know, I, I'll say I am, I am firmly in the camp of do not extend him right now. Okay. You know, as far as the risk versus reward, the pros, cons, the the negatives to extending him right now or the possible negatives to extending him right now far outweigh to me any perceived benefit from giving him the extension this summer versus next summer, unless you are getting an absolute steal of a team friendly deal, which based on what we saw at the Rockets do with Jay Sean Tate is very much a possibility, right? If they're having these discussions with KPJ, then maybe it is because it's in their best interest, not only for KPJ to, you know, lock down some, some long-term secured money, but also because maybe the Rockets feel that they can get an incredibly team-friendly deal versus the value that they project KPJ to have, you know, a year from now, three years from now, whatever, right? Because Jay Sean Tate's a guy that I thought he could make, you know, anywhere from eight to $12 million a year, something like that, when he hits the open market as an actual free agent down the line. But the Rockets got him for, you know, around $7 million, just under $7 million, in fact, you know, average annual value, basically. And... That was because they had, you know, essentially a handshake under the table agreement where it's like, all right, you know, we're going to decline your contract, re-sign you to a new deal. That way you don't have to experience the open market next season. You don't have to go out there and try and get a team to offer you the bag. We're going to get you taken care of right now, but that's only if you agree to this exact deal, right? Otherwise, you're going to have to go out next season. You're going to not make as much money next year because you're still going to be on that, you know, million and a half dollar contract. And you're going to have to prove yourself, right? You're going to have to do everything you did a whole another year. And even then it's not a guarantee that some team rolls up and offers you eight, 10, 12 million a year, right? Yeah. Not a guarantee. So I think KPJ is very much in a similar boat. The difference being they don't have a team option to decline for KPJ. These discussions are just happening and, and, but it's effectively the same principle, right? They can either ink the dude, the new deal now or wait until next summer. So same exact yeah. situation with Jay Sean Tate where ink the new deal now or revisit the situation a year from now. <sighs> Not wanting to extend KPJ doesn't mean that you don't or aren't excited about KPJ's future or that you aren't enticed about his potential as a Houston Rocket. He has shown insane flashes, right? You could maybe make an argument that his ceiling is equal to or greater than Jalen Green's ceiling, like as a player. Like those two guys have insanely sky high potentials, right? Dynamic guard who can handle, who can create, who can score, who can finish, everything. So, and then even that, like even the defensive strides that he took last season where he got better as the season went along as a defender, right? Yeah. So all these things to say though, you you can't ignore some of the potential risks with KPJ. And I feel like a lot of people 
want a lot of Rockets fans want to just brush under the rug the New Year's Day incident. They're like, it's one time. It's the only time that's happened with the Rockets. Look, it's the only time that we know about publicly, right? And I hate playing devil's advocate, but right, how many other potential situations have there been? How many other potential blowups have happened that didn't make it out to the public, right? That weren't this, you know, this crazy where people heard about it and it got reported on all this stuff. I'm not saying that, you know, KPJ is blowing up every other week, but I'm also not saying that, you know, this is possibly only an isolated incident, right? There might be more that we don't know about publicly that they do know about internally. What I will say though, is he has absolutely worked his ass off right as a houston rocket he has you know embraced the identity of being a point guard that this rockets team wanted him to they said hey we think you're the point guard of the future here's the keys to the offense we're going to put john wall on ice because we have the utmost confidence in you to achieve what we want for you right these are the goals that we're setting out for you this is what we want you to do and he had a rocky start to the season, right? He, you know, had some up and downs. He had some games where he looked fantastic. And he had some games where he looked terrible, right? Where he was really trying to adjust to the point guard role. And then he had the New Year's Day incident happen. He got the suspension, came back, hit the game winner, kind of storybook ending, right? Like the best way to come back after, you know, abandoning your team effectively. And he comes back and hits a game winner, right? And, and then they kind of go throughout the rest of the season. And the numbers look great from that point on. Like KPJ was really consistent over the final, I think it's like 39 games of the season or so. Average like 17, four and a half boards, like six, a little over six assists and only 2.7 turnovers per game. So he looked every bit a great point guard to wrap up the season. But was that enough of a sample size, right? A half season to guarantee, you know what? All right, here's, you know, four years, $60 million guaranteed. Like, was that enough to feel confident in giving him all that money right now? I just don't think it was, right? I want to see him do it next year. I want to see him do it across an entire season. And I also want to see how he kind of works in this new dynamic, right? How does he work alongside Jalen Green for an entire season with no Christian Wood in the picture, right? How do Jalen and KPJ effectively operate off of Alper and Shingoon, right? Are those two guys going to look even better with a lot of the, or maybe not a lot, but more of the offense running through LP, right? Steven Silas understanding better ways to utilize a, a truly transcendent passing big like Alper and Shingoon to get some easier opportunities for KPJ and Jalen Green, right? How do those guys factor in with Jabari? There's so many question marks moving forward for this Rockets team. And I just don't think there's enough data to, to confidently say, yep, KPJ is our guy moving forward. He deserves all this money. Let's do it. And that's why I'm, I'm firmly in the camp of don't extend him now. It doesn't mean I don't want him here for the future. It just means wait and see, right? Because worst case scenario is worst case scenario is actually a great scenario because like he balls out this next season. He looks incredible. Yeah. Some team rolls up and offers him the bag next summer. And if they offer him the bag, it's because he had a great year and he's worth it. So then you just match the contract and you call it a day. And instead of paying him, you know, 15 million a year, or maybe you're paying him 20 million a year or 22 million a year. And if you're talking about paying him five or seven extra million dollars per year in the grand scheme of things, if he shows that he's worth it this next season, I'm comfortable with that being the price tag down the line rather than being saddled with $15 million a year. And it's becomes like worst case scenario with KPJ where he becomes unplayable or he turns into a total head case and you got to trade him or he becomes a locker room cancer. Any of these really, again, these are, these are very like, you know, far left and then far right, like, you know, complete polar opposite ends of the spectrum here. And I think it's more likely to, you know, end somewhere in the middle ground, not necessarily he becomes a future perennial all-star and he doesn't become a, a head case either. Like he's somewhere more in the middle of those two possibilities. But because of that, I don't think the the reward of signing him to that contract this offseason, again, you're, you're talking about shaving off maybe, you know, five to 
$10 million on the absolute top end of what his contract could potentially look like if a team decides to come along and try to throw the bag at him. Just to kind of piggyback off of what you're saying, my, my, my take is that I feel like it's more – to me, it's not much of a risk. If you, if you, if you give him a four-year, $60 million deal, $15 million a year, you know, let's say, let's say he does have an incident. First of all, he's very young, so we know that. You know, you're going to have maturity, you know, concerns, maturity issues. But if he has another blow-up and you are forced to trade him now – I feel like a lot of Rockets fans are, are kind of stuck in the, the John Wall mindset of like, we got to trade a pick to get rid of him because the contract is so bad. But even if you do have that situation where it's like, you know, we got to trade KPJ because he had a blow up. I mean, 15 million a year is not really a bad contract for a team to take on. But but let's say you got to throw a sweetener in. Let's say what, a second round pick, maybe. I mean, a team would definitely take, you know, second round pick and a, a young KPJ at a $15 million a year deal. Cause it kind of reminds me of like the Jalen Brunson do where it's like, we could, you know, you had a chance to, to pay him, you know, 50 million, 55 plus somewhere around there. And they decide not to, you know, I was just going to wait. Now all of a sudden the team throws in the bag, 25, 26 million a year. And you're like, nah, I don't want to pay him that. You know, granted, I don't know that KPJ would get 25, 26 a year. He'd have to have a major, you know, season this year, but it just, to me, it, it feels like it's not, it would not really be much of a risk if, if something like that were to happen. Well, you, you, and you're seeing, right, you're seeing Miami right now, right, with the Duncan Robinson situation. Duncan Robinson saddled for the next four years at, you know, 20 million a year. Nobody wants to touch that contract because nobody wants their cap space wrapped up around that that number for that many years. I, I, I you know, I really don't think, AD, that you can get away with jettisoning, jettisoning, a, a jettisoning, that is a terrible word. I don't know why I chose that one. I don't think you get. I don't think you can get rid of a fifteen million dollar average annual contract with just a second round pick. Not with that many years left on it. Because again, that's that's four or three and a half more years, four more years, three more years of of fifteen million of your cap just gone like that, right? Again, you're seeing that situation with Duncan Robinson. The Heat don't want to pay a draft pick to unload him, and nobody wants to take that contract back either. And Duncan Robinson is a serviceable player, right? He's not a guy with off-the-court issues. He's just a guy that can't play defense, right? But he's a bona fide three-point shooter, and you could slot him into almost any NBA offense, and he's going to give you some production. In fact, the Heat can still situationally use him. He just doesn't fit into their kind of defensive mold identity that they've kind of cultivated over there. So he kind of finds himself as the on-man out. KPJ doesn't. I mean, he was the best catch and shoot three point shooter in the NBA this last season. Sure. But he doesn't have the same versatility that a Duncan Robinson does to just throw him into a lineup and say, all right, you're the third option. Just sit there and hit threes, right? He's a guy that flourishes with the ball in his hands. And so maybe there's another team willing to take a risk on him after the Rockets. But at that point, right, you've got Cleveland who gave up on him because of locker room issues. You have the Rockets who in this hypothetical worst case scenario would be giving up on him because of locker room issues again. Like what third team is going to be willing to a, take him on at that value, and B, only take back a first, like, again, I, I see it as, that, again, that's absolute worst case scenario. I really don't yeah. think it becomes that. I don't think it's going to go down that path. Um, I think that KPJ's absolutely worked insanely hard to get to a point where he is, you know, he's got his head square on his shoulders. He's committed to winning. He's committed to bettering himself. Everything that I've heard is he looks fantastic this summer. Um, he has been putting in a, an insane amount of work with all the other young guys for the Rockets, right? Like everybody is out there attending these voluntary workouts, you know, grinding, trying to be better for this next season. So that's why I just, again, it's it's more to me, just don't jump the gun on it, right? Like, you know, yeah. let him come out, let him, let him ball out this next season. And I think if I'm not mistaken, they might be able to actually 
do the extension all the way up until the trade deadline or like there's like the the extension discussion can happen throughout the season so maybe he you know hits the ground running the first couple months look really really good and they decide they revisit the extension discussion and they they decide to ink a deal in december or january rather than waiting until the off season to let him hit restricted free agency so you know yeah there's a lot of again i think the pros of waiting far outweigh the cons of, of again paying you know an absurd amount down the line because that has to guarantee the fact you know is there a team that's willing to throw the bag at kpj i don't know yeah. right that's fair. that's fair yeah which i mean makes sense and i think i'm in the camp of i'm not too extreme either way i'm fine if they sign him to a contract extension before the season start more likely if it was to happen i think it would happen during the season because i still think i still think there are some doubts in the rockets front office i mean yeah. They probably have more confidence in a lot of the Rockets fans doing KPJ, but I think that they do have some doubts and they still are wondering if he's the future point guard. I mean, I'm not even, I'm a KPJ fan. I've been one of the people that have been defending KPJ, but even I can acknowledge that if the Rockets were to, let's say, go out there and trade for another just scrolling star somewhere and he's having to be a point guard, I don't think they have a problem with moving KPJ to the bench. I don't think the Rockets are just dead set of uh, having KPJ as a starting point guard. But at the same time, I don't think that they are necessarily looking every day to try to move on from Kevin Porter Jr. Yeah. So, and But I can also see it from your point, Jackson, where as far as you don't necessarily have to sign him now because he is a restricted free agent. You still will have time later on. So I'm kind of like I say, I'm kind of in the middle when it comes to the contract part of it. But as far as KPJ himself, I think he's just going to have a huge year this year just because yeah. of he has more experience as a point guard now. People always seem to forget that he didn't play point guard coming before he got to the Rockets. I mean, he may have played a little bit of uh, point forward for Cleveland, but that really wasn't his position. So I just think that this year the team is actually set. Christian Wood, like you mentioned, is out of the way now. So now he knows that he's going to have the ball in his hands a lot more than he did the last couple of years, um, not just last year. So I think that we will see a big year from KPJ, maybe even a most improved player uh, a year from him. So I think at the end of the day, it's all going to work itself out. One way or another, I think he's going to get that contract. It's just a matter of when he gets it at this point. Um yeah. On, yeah, your, well, on, on your point, Lashard, about, you know, the, the Christian Wood thing, it's not to me, too. It's not that KPJ didn't have the ball in his hands for a lot of this last season. He did. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, he had the ball in his hands a lot this last season. It's just Christian Wood threw a gigantic wrench into a lot of what the Rockets were able to maximize as their offensive potential. Right. Because Seawood yeah. yeah. Wood didn't you know, didn't set favorable screens to give advantage to KPJ and Jalen Green. He slipped practically every single screen to create the yeah. advantage for himself. And again, maybe again, I'm not like. Look, Christian was not a rock anymore. I'm not going to sit here and like try to slam the dude. Maybe that was Silas's decision, right? Maybe Silas was like, hey, Christian, like, I don't want you to set hard screens the way Alper and Shingun does, right? I want you to set a screen and slip every single screen, try to get towards the rim, where to lob the ball over the top of the defense. Maybe that was just their offensive game plan, right? And if it was, then that's, you know, that's on Silas. But it never looked like Christian would ever set high quality screens yeah. for either of his two, you know, his two backcourt players that, you know, limits their potential, limits their opportunities to drive and get, you know, easy opportunities towards the rim. I just think everything is set and uh, for KPJ and he is poised to have a, a really phenomenal season. But final point here, right, is like what what is the ver- what's the 
you know, what are the stats that determine a phenomenal season, right? Again, KPJ in the final 39 games of this season was, you know, seven, we'll say 17, five and six, right? Yeah. If he does 17, five and six again across the entire season, what is that worth, right? Is that a $20 million a year player? Is that 15 million? Is it 25? Like, is there a desperate team out there that, you know, is like, oh, 17, five and six, that's our guy. Let's get him. Let's go. Let's, you know, we got all this cap space and there's nobody else we can, you know, try to sign. Let's go get Kevin Porter Jr. and try to make him the, you know, our, our point guard of the future, whatever. So there's that, but I also think, right, like those numbers don't exactly explode off the page, right? And there's a potential that if he's doing, you know, if he's doing that or better than that next season, then I think, you know, like you, Lashard, very confident he's going to get the extension or get a new contract. But I also think there's something to be said for where the Rockets may find themselves next year in the draft, right? Like if KPJ has an adequate season, you know, so-so quality season, whatever, maybe like we'll say 15, five and five, like, you know, a little bit less than what he did in the 30 on game sample size, but still quality. Let's say good shooting numbers, whatever. What if the Rockets land at like the number two overall pick, right? And so they miss out on the Wimby sweepstakes, but Scoot Henderson is right there. So like, then what do you do, right? Do you, I mean, if you're already, if you extend KPJ this summer, then suddenly you're facing the decision, the dilemma of, all right, well now we're in the second overall slot. Like, do we go with fit? Do we go with best player available? Cause right now it feels like the common consensus is it's Wimby one scoot number two. So at that point, if you're locked into KPJ for the next four years already, you've kind of already pigeonholed yourself into the position of, okay, well now you've got to either trade KPJ or move him to the bench or do something. Cause if you're going to take scoot Henderson, number two, like, what do you do there? How do you factor him into the backcourt alongside Jalen and KPJ? I, I think there's a lot, you know, that's that's a smaller scale concern, some, but it's something to just keep in mind, right? That the Rockets don't have to paint themselves into a corner with KPJ right now, especially when there's a few other variables like next year's draft to consider. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I I, I definitely see what you're saying. Um, I guess my main thing is with KPJ, I don't even think it's going to be offensively where he takes that next step. I think really where he can really take that next step next year is like we were mentioned with defense. If he can get to a point where he is one of the better defenders in the league, I think that will kind of catapult him. I think that'll have a lot to do with whether the Rockets feel they should you know, extend them as well. Because like you said, how much better can he get offensively? I mean, you have Jalen Green. Now you have Jabari Smith. Aperon Shangun is going to take an, another step next year offensively. So his numbers probably won't be that much of a difference. He can cut down on the turnovers like he did in the second half of the season, uh, where in the first half he was averaging over three and a half a game, and he cut that down almost a turnover a game. That's another step he can make is just being a better playmaker, a better decision maker. Well, so invo- involving yeah. the rest of the team, right? Because that was so- yeah. that was something that was a bit of a hang up at times, and and it stands out very, you know, very much so. Right? It was like the second to last game of the season or third to last game of the season against the Brooklyn Nets on the road, and Jalen didn't attempt a shot until like two minutes left in the first yeah. quarter, and this was because KPJ was just out there doing his thing, right? Like he got up like five, like six or seven shots in that first quarter, didn't let Jalen get a single shot off, and that to me was unacceptable like like yeah. and that's the it's those types of moments or, or mental lapses from kpj where he has to be the point guard on the floor which means he has to look to try and get everybody else involved probably first and foremost and then look to get his own buckets and we kind of saw that out of james harden right there were points in james harden's career here in houston where sometimes he'd go through like an entire first half and you'd be like where like what's harden doing like he's being super passive he's like he's he's hyper focused on getting everybody else involved and then like maybe the rockets would be down or whatever and then he'd roll out in the third quarter and just decide to turn on the scoring like 
switch yeah, course, and just yeah. take over and get up like 12 shots in a quarter, score like 15 points. And you're like, oh, that's the James Hart because he can do that. Right. And KPJ has that same ability where he can flip a switch and decide, all right, I'm going to be a playmaker or I'm going to be a scorer. And I think for him, it's getting better at deciding within the flow of the game yeah. how to not be so dead set on one of those mentalities versus the other, but blending them together. Because he'll go through some parts of the game where he looks like he's just looking to create. And then he'll go through other parts of the game where he's looking like he just wants to score the ball and he's kind of tunnel visioning. If he can combine and merge those two things to where he's leveraging his scoring gravity consistently to create opportunities for his teammates and not tunnel visioning as much or not being so dialed in one way or the other, then that's when we're going to get the best version of KPJ. And that's what I'm really looking for out of him offensively next season. And that's kind of where he struggled at. I felt like he actually was very hesitant, uh, especially at the beginning of the season when it came time to running plays, when it came time, even making late passes, left a lot of turnovers that could have been prevented or cut down. I feel like that's kind of where he struggled at. I'm actually really curious to see, or I'm curious to know what you guys think. He, he has such a, a massive leap in the three-point shooting like 31% the year before to like 38% last year. That's like such a massive gulf from like year to year. Do we think that he's going to drop back down or do we think that maybe he'll be at the same level or even better? Well, I mean, just from my point of view, I think that he'll be closer to where he is now um, just because I think the Rockets just going to be a better team this year. I mean, offensively, the first year you didn't know what you were – what you were going to get. They went through so many different lineups from James Harden lineups to the John Wall and Victor Oladipo lineups to the basically getting somebody off the street lineups. And then last year, I mean, you have a little bit more of a semblance of a team, but still, like we mentioned before, you had Christian Wood who, you know, was putting up numbers, but at the same time, he was a detriment to the offense sometime because you never really knew where he was going to be as far as uh, if he was going to run the play the correct way or if he was just going to take the shot coming off of a fast break. Uh, so you never really knew what was going to happen. I think you're going to see KPJ closer to the player he was the last couple of weeks of the year once Christian Wood was out of the lineup. So I think it's going to be closer to that 38% than that 31%. Yeah, same thing here. And, and again, what does give you a lot of confidence, right, is the catch and shoot number being so yeah. absurd. Yeah. I, I do think that he's going to get and, and hopefully he's going to get more opportunities within the flow because I, I do expect the Rockets offense to hopefully take a step forward this season. And to, this will be a really great opportunity for Steven Silas to really showcase what he can achieve offensively with so many dynamic players on the floor at the same time having all the spacing out there, having a, a bona fide passer, shot creator in Alper and Shingun. KPJ should get plenty of straight up, spot up, catch and shoot opportunities off of passes from Jalen, passes from Alper and Shingun, passes from Jayshon Tate or Eric Gordon, whoever's in that th starting three spot. Like there's going to be four out of five guys in the Rockets starting lineup are guys who can create opportunities for other players. And even Jabari showed some flashes in summer league of just, you know, taking those quick one, two dribbles into the paint and then kicking it out to the open man. So even though he's not a flashy playmaker, he's a, you know, he's capable at making the right read, the right next pass, swinging the ball around the perimeter, whatever. So KPJ should get ample opportunities to continue to build that catch and shoot three point shooting number. And if that stays consistent, if he's still shooting, you know, north of 45% on catch and shoot threes, then there's no reason why that three point percentage won't stay sky high this next season. Yeah. I mean, I definitely agree. I mean, it's, it should all come together for a lot of the Rockets next year. And another player I want to talk about before we get into a, a couple of our last question it's Uzma Garuba, who we didn't get to see in the summer league, who we really didn't get to see much last year because of the same thing, because of injury concern. So I want to ask you, Jackson, 
they did just sign Bruno Fernando to an exhibit 10 deal that, that could turn into a two-way contract. They they still have Boban still on the roster, um, along with some of the other Mavericks, which more than likely they're going to cut the rest of the, the players they got in that trade for Christian Wood. But do you see Uzma Garuba um, possibly still being a backup center? Do you see him more of a power forward? And if that's the case, does he even really get any minutes to begin the year? Or does he still have a chance to go to the G League? Because even last year when he was in the G League, he only played a few games because he, again, was injured. So what do you see as the backup center situation right now? I think right now it's very it's very much Usman Garuba health permitting, right? And that's the yeah. biggest question mark with him is, you know, uh, again, availability is the best ability. And so far he hasn't had much availability in his career, unfortunately, yeah. right? Now the 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 good news is, right, it's not like it's it's one repeat injury that keeps, you know, happening. He had the wrist injury, then he had the ankle injury, and so it's not like it's the same thing repeatedly that's that's sidelining him from games, at least not to this point. Now the ankle injury could be something, you know, a little bit more serious further down the line. We will have to monitor and keep you know, keep our eyes on any potential future leg issues with with Uzi. But right now, I think the silver lining for Usman Garuba is the Rockets could have gone out and, you know, signed a big in free agency, yeah. right? They could have pursued another big. They could have tried to make a splash. They could have gone after a guy like Nick Claxton or any number of the other, you know, quality bigs that were on the market this, pa- this past go around, throw their MLE at somebody and have a, a legitimate quantified backup center. They didn't because I think the vision for them is they still want to try and see what they have with Usman Garuba. So I think he's going to be the de facto backup center, health permitting, and then they're probably going to play small for, you know, portions of the game. So imagine LP gets, you know, anywhere from 28 to 30 minutes a night ballpark. That gives you another, we'll say 18 to 20 minutes without him on the floor. I'd say probably anywhere from 10 or so of those minutes can go to Usman Garuba every single night, you know, about five, six minutes a half, kind of like the backup point guard situation, you know, five or six minutes goes to whoever the backup point guard is behind KPJ in each half. So Usman will get some of that. And then I think we're also going to see them play small, right? We're going to see some stretches with Jabari playing the five or Tari or go super small ball with Jay Sean Tate at the five spot, like, and have that, that small ball five out offense where you're not even really playing small. Cause if you still have Tari and, especially Jabari on the floor, you're not really playing small. You're just playing five out offensively, essentially. Yeah. And you're still playing five out even with Usman Garuba, and you do still play a little bit of five out with Alper and Shingun. But, you know, Usman and, and, and Shingun, they still got to work on their three ball to get to a place where it's really consistent to be a potent five out offense. Uh, Jabari should... You know, as assuming his three ball actually does translate, and it doesn't look like summer league. Uh, that's going to look like a really potent five out offense where we might see the Rockets even opt to close some games with that lineup because of the defensive versatility that it gives the offensive spacing that it provides all these different things. We might see some situations where Shingun isn't on the floor to close out some of these games. So I think the silver lining is the Rockets did not sign uh, apart from bringing in, you know, Bruno Fernando, bringing him back on an exhibit 10 deal, which could be converted to that last two way contract spot that they still have open. Apart from that, they haven't made any moves that that show, I guess, like a lack of confidence in Usman Garuba's future. I think right now in the depth chart, you can very safely pencil him in as the backup center. And maybe they'll use Boban Marjanovic a little bit here and there. But Boban is very much like a. You know, he's like a, uh, I don't know, like a skills team player. Like he's just, you, you throw you throw him in for a very specific mismatch, like yes. like seven of the 82 games out of the year. And that's it because that's, that's what Boban does. Yeah. 
Uh, and uh, like he, you're not going to throw Boban out there to like neutralize a certain defensive skill. Like he's just you put Boban out there and you throw him the ball because he's taller and bigger and stronger than everybody else. And maybe he gets yeah. you like 12 points in six minutes against, you know, a super small team or a super big team. Like, I don't know. Um, but I don't think he's going to be the one getting like primary backup center minutes whatsoever, you know, next season for the Rockets. Yeah, and, uh, and that's a good point about them not bringing in another center because even still now, there's still some centers out there, and I don't think that they're going to be bringing any of those in because most of them are like more veteran centers that are going to be looking to be playing on winning teams uh, towards the end of their career. So that's a good point about that. Uh, one thing I wanted to do before we wrap it up, I wanted to get into uh, what's more likely to happen. Uh, we had a couple of questions, and I definitely want you to jump in AD um, after Jackson gives his answer. Uh, the first one was, again, about Kevin Porter Jr. and this time also about Jalen Green. Uh, what's more likely to happen? Jalen Green averages 23 points a game to where last year he was around 17 a game. Of course, t- towards the end of the season, he was a lot higher. He's closer to the 23-point-a-game mark. Um, are KPJ averaging eight assists a game, where last year for pretty much all season he averaged a little over six assists a game? Ooh, this is this is a tough one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> do, so wait, be, because we're, we're because we're picking more likely to happen if it, yeah. like when we when we revisit the show at the end of next season, right, or, or like halfway through next season, yeah. do we get credit for being closer? Because like that, uh, I'm worried KPJ won't quite hit eight, and I'm worried Jalen won't quite hit twenty three. But like, yeah. do we get credit if if we're closer on those numbers? Because I think right now. I think I want to say KPJ eight assists. I think KPJ at eight assists is more realistic than Jalen at 23 a night because 23 a night is a lot. Like that's, that's a lot of buckets and it's a big scoring jump to go from 17 a game to 23 a game on a consistent basis. I think Jalen's going to average 20 next season, but I have him pegged somewhere in that 20 to 23 range. I think that's kind of where his, his scoring average is going to fall. So I'm going to go KPJ eight assists a game more likely to happen. Yeah, so we won't we won't penalize you. We won't do like a, a price is right. If you go over, you get penalized. So or a little bit under, you know, if you're close, I'll definitely make sure to give you credit on that. Uh, so, A.D., what do you say? For me, I feel like it's, J- it's Jalen Green 23 because I, I think I think KPJ, I think KPJ might get the roughly the same number of assists, six and a half, six point eight, somewhere around there. But we've already seen it with Jalen. I mean, that month that he won player of the month, he averaged like 23 a game. It was like 22.6. That month, so we've already already seen that. Now, granted, you know he's going to be sharing, sharing the ball a little bit more. We know Jamar's going to factor into that as well. But I feel like for me, it's Jalen getting twenty three is more likely. Yeah, uh, I'm leaning a little bit more with the KPJ factor just because I think the offense is going to be better uh, this year. I mean, last year they were twentieth in three point shooting. Um, they were one of the, the worst teams in the league as far as just points per game. So I think that that's going to improve next year, which in turn will improve KPJ's assist numbers. And I also with his turnovers going down, that'll definitely help. So yeah. I'll lean a little bit closer to the eight assists a game. But, I mean, there's definitely a good chance that Jalen Green can surprise all of us. And, hey, maybe even average more than 23. I mean, more than likely it's not going to happen because a six-point jump is already huge, as, yeah. you know, as it is. But, I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if it happened for sure. Uh, one more question before we wrap it up. Um, we all saw that Jay Sean Tate's been working on his three-point shooting um, throughout the offseason. We've heard a lot of great things about his three-point shooting. So what's, I'll start with you, Jackson. What's more likely to happen? Um, Jay Sean Tate shoots 36% from uh, three-point range. Or Jabari Smith averaged a block and a half or higher next year? Block and a half Jabari Smith. <laughs> I, look, 
I love JT. That's my guy. I, I, yeah. I and I hope that the three point shooting rumors are true. I hope it translates. I am not expecting a six percent jump <laughs> from Jay Shante, right? Because he's effectively yeah. shot, or maybe five percent jump. I think it's thirty one percent. It's either 31. thirty or thirty one percent that he's basically shot as an NBA player throughout his career. I'm not expecting that big of a jump to happen. I I hope that over the course of the season, you know, if he can start out around 33, 34% and make like a slight improvement just to start the year and then keep that consistent and kind of build on as the season goes on, maybe he finishes the season somewhere around that 35, 36% range. But I think it's going to be too up and down across the, the whole of the season. Uh, I'm going to go Jabari Smith block and a half a game. I think that's going to be incredibly likely because I think Jabari is going to play off of Alper and Shingun incredibly well as a help defender and somebody that can, you know, really be sneaky and kind of coming over from the weak side and getting some opportunities right there at the rim to uh, to stuff some guys. So I'm going Jabari. Yeah, same here. Um, I mean, Jay Shante, 31% from three. Actually, pretty much both seasons as rookie was 30.8 last year, 31.1. I just don't see... I just don't see any world where he shoots 36%. <laughs> I just can't see that. Whereas, you know, Jabari, I mean, Jabari, you know, that's really kind of his forte. You know, yeah. we know that he, he's a, obviously a great defender, post defender. Um, we saw, saw a lot of that in the summer league in yeah. Vegas. So uh, I actually, I actually wouldn't be surprised. I actually think he might average a block and a half, um, you know? So for me, the either or scenario, like it's, it's definitely Jabari. Yeah, in this case, I guess I'm just being overly optimistic about Jay Sean shooting 36%. I think most fans will be happy if he just improves at all next year in his three-point shooting because as we saw, teams literally just park their centers in the paint when guarding Jay Sean Tate. So any improvement at all would definitely help the overall team. Um, I mean, that's going to do it for today. But before we wrap up well, the show, I want to ask you guys. Plus, you got to also – yeah, we're eight, you got AD and I both freaking out at the end of the pod. Like, you got to answer the question. Which one are you going with? Oh. Jay Sean or or, or or Jabari? Like I said, I'm, I'm being overly uh, optimistic. But, yeah, honestly, it's going to be Jabari. I think actually he averages over a block and a half just because of the point you made, Jackson, about playing off of Aper and Shangoon, who's not necessarily he, – he gives it ever, but he's not necessarily a shot blocker. So somebody's going to get those uh, block shots. And actually the Rockers were at the top of the league in block shot attempts. I don't know, you know, what you can take from that. But they were trying last year to get those block shots. So I think that Jabari actually does average over a block and a half next year. So that's what I would go with. But Jay Shantae could shoot at least 33, 34%. I will yeah, say that. Fair. So the question <laughs> I want to ask you guys, do we think we'll yeah. see more offensive variety from Silas this year? Because I feel like we really haven't really haven't seen, you know, much to be uh to be excited about as it pertains to that and especially his rotations. I'm hoping so, right? Like this, and, and I say I'm hoping so because I, I don't, I, we haven't seen enough to, for me to know, right? Like he came to Houston touted as this like offensive guru yeah. and we haven't seen a whole lot by way of like, oh, wow, that's a really, you know, beautifully designed play. Like I'm hoping that we get more of that this season that having guys like, like having again, a, a you know, an offensive hub in Alper and Shingun will unlock possibilities for the offense. Having another, you know, phenomenal shooter in Jabari Smith Jr. will unlock some possibilities. Another year of Jalen Green and, or a year of Jalen Green and KPJ together, you know, they're more comfortable playing off of one another. So hopefully we'll see some creativity out of him, right? Because to me, 
this is the year. This is the year where Silas needs, like, the Rockets don't need to be a good team, right? They could still be the worst team in the NBA again this year. Yeah. But I need to see something more from Silas this season. Yeah. Like, I need to see some optimism. Like, you know, maybe they're a, a top 15 offense and their defense still looks terrible this year. But then it's like, okay, they improved, right? Offensively, they got way, way better. They looked better. There was a semblance of a system, some creativity, all that. Or vice versa. Maybe their offense is a total dumpster fire, but they're like a top 15 defense because of the pieces that they added and they're just working really hard and Silas and Lionel Hollins really transforming that side. I need to see some level of improvement on one or both sides of the basketball that gives me the confidence moving forward that, hey, all right, they can get the other side figured out, whether it's offense, defense, whatever. But there's signs of progress and not just individual growth because I think there's enough talent on the roster now that Steven Silas should be able to start maximizing some of that talent, which means at the end of the day, translating to some wins. Or if it's not translating to wins, maybe just translating to some more competitive basketball because how many games do we have last year that were just complete and utter blowouts for the Rockets, yeah. right? Like, yeah. you know, minimizing the number of blowouts. I'm not saying that he needs to come in and they need to be competing for the play-in spot this next season. That's not the that's not the barrier for Silas or that's not the hurdle that he has to jump. But we need to see something, something to give us some confidence moving forward i think yeah i mean and his after time out plays were great i want to see more of that in the structure of the actual offense to where they're actually running offensive set i mean i understand that they were still learning Jalen green and kevin Porter jr were still trying to uh, get the chemistry together in the backcourt so maybe they ran a lot of basic standard plays but yeah you want to see the improvement i don't i don't necessarily care necessarily about the wins um, like Jackson was saying, I just want to see them be competitive, actually making improvements, making improvements and actually running a actual NBA offense, because the last two years they haven't been running an NBA offense. It's just basically been, hey, let's go out here and run a pick and roll. And that's basically it. It wasn't yeah. any type of screens being run, any type of pin downs, any type of backdoor cuts. It was just real basic plays. So, yeah, I want to see that improvement as well next year, because we got to remember Silas is going to be I mean. I don't think he's in danger this year, but next year is his final year, the, the following season. So he has to start showing improvement just like the player. So it's a lot of people on this team that are having to audition for their next contracts. And I think Silas is part of that. So, yeah, I definitely want to see some improvement in the offense. And I think you will just because they have better players and their players have actually been playing together longer. Um, before we wrap it up, what, what do you think, AD? Do you expect to see an improved offense next year? Yeah, I mean, uh, I kind of, I kind of agree with uh, with both you guys. I think the pressure is definitely on him um, to to do that. Um, I, I think you also have again enough talent, enough offensive talent. Another year of, of KPJ in the point role um, where he should feel more comfortable, uh, a lot more flow. I think a lot of times, you know, again, not not to bash Christian Wood, but I feel like Christian Wood kind of do some things off, uh, especially on the offensive end. Um, you don't have that problem anymore. I think you know Jabari is a much better fit alongside uh, alongside Sengun and also in this offense. So I mean, you should have some you should have some variety because if not, you know, I don't think I don't think the Rockets would would have any issue you know with Sonis in his lame duck year letting them go if things don't work out this season. Like you know, so I hope so, but I expect that we will see some more some uh, some some variety more more variety. Yeah, we can we can only hope so because two years in a row for me of being the worst team, um, I think that's good enough for me. <laughs> um, before we go, Jackson, again, if you can let everybody know where to find all your great content. 
yeah, you can uh, track me down on Twitter. That's where I yell about everything that I do, whether it's Locked on Rockets, the only five-day-a-week podcast covering the Houston Rockets, Locked on NBA Mondays, uh, the State of the Rockets podcast that I host with Roosh Williams, and then all of our content for Clutch City Control Room. Yeah, and again, thank you for coming on. It's the first time you've been on Rocket Fuel. Of course, we go way back, you know, years now. And uh, <laughs> when it comes to the Rockets covering the Rockets, so first I'd like to appreciate, I would like to say thank you for getting me started in this to begin with because I remember a long time ago when I first started where I didn't barely even know how to turn on my microphone. So I definitely appreciate that. <laughs> hey, man, LaShar, w- watching you become one of the premier Houston Rockets podcasters, it's been such a cool experience to see. And I know I'm, I'm happy to have played a tiny little part in helping you get started on that journey. But you've, you've put in all the work, all the hours yourself. So, you know, all that hard work, that's on you, man. Yeah, yeah I definitely appreciate that. I appreciate the kind words for sure. Um, and AD, as usual, thank you for jumping on. I'm sure I'll see you again next week. <laughs> for sure. I also, I want to say appreciate JT for jumping on, also getting me in, involved in, in the pod game. Um, because at first I was just blogging, uh, and now I really much don't blog much at all anymore. I'm just doing pods now. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, but 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 Club City Control Room was, was kind of what got me started doing pods as well. So, I appreciate you for getting me in, in this uh, this foray. Absolutely, AD. Look, again, you, you you two are two of the best guys when it comes to talking Rockets basketball, talking about the team, sharing insights, opinions, analysis, all that. So, I, you know, I knew the moment, you know, I found out you guys were putting this pod together with, with Dave, obviously, for Clutch fans. I was like, oh, well, this thing's going to be incredible. So, got to tune in. And, uh, yeah, I'm happy to have finally been on the program. Oh, for sure. We'll definitely be having you back on at some point. Um, and I'll definitely, I'm sure I'll be on one of y'all shows because I've already done a show with with Don and Paul already. So, I mean, it's been great going back and forth and definitely we'll make sure to support whatever y'all doing over there at Clutch City. Sure, yeah. All right, that's going to do it for today's show. And as usual, we appreciate everybody that jumps on every week. Again, we'll be back on with another episode uh, next Saturday. So make sure you're checking that out. This will be up on YouTube shortly as well. So if you haven't, make sure you're subscribing to the Clutch Fans um, YouTube uh, page as well. And it'll be at anywhere you get your podcast, you know, you uh, Spotify, uh, Amazon, wherever, Apple, wherever you get your um, audio podcast, it'll be up on there as well. So as usual, we appreciate everybody that comes up uh, and joins us every single week. And we will see you again next week.